0: Chapter 10. You can go ahead and be seated. Thank you, worship team. Amen. Excellent. I really like when the worship when they came up and they started doing the testimonies. That was pretty cool. That was nice. I like that. Amen. We have Mark chapter 10. We're going to begin there in verse uh, 13. You all have it? If not, I believe the media will have it up on the screen. It reads there, people were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And here's the key. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a child, like a little child, will never enter it. Father, we we thank you. We love you, and as always, we we are careful to give you the glory. For you alone can can receive it and and handle it. I ask God that you'd move for these next few minutes in, in the hearts and the lives of people, that you would touch them right where they're living. It would be relevant to their life. and That you would move in their situation. I ask God, Holy Spirit, for you are the agent in operation currently on earth. As Jesus sits at the hand of the Father forever interceding for us, I ask you, Holy Spirit, to change lives. To change hearts. Let them be touched by the anointing. For it is the anointing of God that breaks the yoke of bondage. I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. I was there in um, Bangdung on the, the third night, and this is where the message came out of. And I had taught a group of their, their leaders there, and I asked them, What, what are the traits? A Christian. Um, what other traits should, should we have if you want to evolve and grow in the things of God? And I need 10. Because and, and, they wanted me to teach them those traits. And I said, no, you're going to have to teach me. So I asked them. And I go, and I, and there was a group. And I go, everybody turn them in. And we're going to take that list from everybody. Then we're going to distill them down to the top 10 choices. So everybody has a different concept, a different ideal of what what kind of traits we should have. So they did that and I already had a, a, a lesson prepared and, and I got the list and it, it just struck me as uh, um, not odd, but just struck me and, and surprised me. Not so much the list for the most part, but one part hit me and, and I think it's a, a common mistake that we do and I don't think we intentionally do it. So I call this the Top 10 traits of a Christian, or we can call this the Bandung list. And I noticed that in this list, the traits, there were nine traits that fell into three categories. And, and, and they just sort of fell into place all on their own. i was mean, like, wow, that's, a, that's pretty heavy. Oh, this is happening. And you can see the attitude, uh, rather, the, 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 the categories, and three of them. One was attitude, and three of the traits really focused on a person's attitude. We're talking about Christians now. And then another one was I call it fellowship, not fellowship but fellowship, and how people are able to follow. And the third one was job performance, or what what a person is doing. See, attitude is very important. In fact, um, um, Pastor Sam works on aircraft, and he's well aware that you don't want to be in a plane with a bad attitude, because if that plane doesn't change its attitude. You, will, you and your face will meet the ground. And that's not a good thing. It's because the attitude, deter- it, it talks about how the wings are like this, right? So could you imagine having a bad attitude in a plane? And it just, you don't correct it. If you stood like this long enough, you don't know what happened. You'd crash, invariably. So it, it's kind of uh, interesting that, that the, um, the gauge determining if an aircraft is going to stay in the air is dependent upon its attitude. And, and, and it's very important because I think attitude is probably the top trait of any believer. Because if you have the right attitude, you can, you can correct things. You can, you'll be open to things. But somebody, you never meet someone with a bad attitude? Like, wow, they make you want to have a bad attitude. Right? They have a bad attitude and you're like, well, and then you can tolerate for a little while. After a while, you want to have a bad attitude and just sort of slap the attitude out of them. Amen? But you can't do that. Cause that's not one of the lists, the character lists. Amen. But under that, that list of that, that trait of attitude, you had three traits that, that popped out. One was obedience, one was humble, and one was consistent. So if you're humble, you'll have the right attitude because God will raise you up. If you're obedient, I tell people, do two things. Be obedient, stay away from sin. You'll accomplish anything for God because you're obedient and consistent. You can't be uh, inconsistent. You have to be, you know, I, I call this the, 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 the peanut butter and jelly Christian. Because, you know, uh, nobody wants to live on peanut butter and jelly. Right. We want we want steak. You know, we want we want lasagna. We, but, you know, what I'm going to tell you something. If you ate steak every day, you'd be in bad shape in about 30 days. You would. Your stomach couldn't handle that kind of gourmet cooking or, you know, I just eat steak, T-bone, T-bone. You eat enough T-bone, you'll be T-boned. Amen. (laughs) Just can't do it. Right. Right? You can't, you can't, you can't. And and, and any of the other food. But listen, you could live every day for the rest of your life on peanut butter and jelly and bread. You know that it it could sustain you. It's not exciting, but it's just something that can sustain you. Well, see, but Christians tend to come and they want, they want steak all the time. They don't like the peanut butter and jelly of just be consistent. Yeah, nothing, nothing exciting happened today at church, but I was there. I was consistent. I grabbed a few things. Oh, some people say, well, I got to go I got to feel the Holy Ghost. What is that? That's somebody who's used to eating nothing but steak. And if you eat enough steak, you will get spiritually constipated. Let me move on. Then they have another one called, uh, 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 the, the other category was You I left you hanging on that one, but I, I don't want to stay there. Followship. There was three categories there. And really, this is just the top of, of the message. I got to get you somewhere I want to get you. It was fellowship, And under those three traits, you have loyalty, teachable, and commitment. So when, you, when you're a follower, you're loyal. You're loyal. Right? I always tell people, you know, uh, I had this, this ability, I just, I'm loyal, you know. Here I am in Colorado. But I was raised in Northern California, and my team was the Oakland Raiders. Now they're gonna be Las Vegas Raiders. People say, are you offended that they're moving to a different city? I go, no. The Raiders are, not, are too big for a city. We're a nation. Yeah, like the good or not. But, you know, because I'm loyal to my, you know, loyalty. And that's in me. We're loyal. You know, some, I know there's some people here that are Bronco fans and John Elway for God, you know, and everything like that. But there's a loyalty thing, right? And, and, and you need that. If you're going to follow, you have to be loyal. Not only loyal, you have to be teachable, willing to, to take a lesson, take a rebuke. Hello, somebody. And, and some people like coming and, and hearing, but they don't like to be taking rebukes. Don't rebuke me. Love me. Hold me. Caress me but don't rebuke me. But when you're following Christ and you're following a leader, you, you got to be able to take a rebuke. You got know, to you know what a rebuke is. You know that thing you do when you yell at your kids? Without yelling though. Amen. Correction. And then commitment. You're committed. Why? Because you're, you're, you're following. You're committed to the cause. And the third uh, uh, group was job performance. Again, this list came out of Bandung. The first one they had was make disciples. So if you're a Christian, you have to be able to make disciples. Disciples. So we're coming to an age in North America, in the Western Christianity, where God is actually moving, west, leaving rather Western Christianity. And the move of God right now has been evident in in three major places in the world. Africa, South America in Asia. And you can see throughout history at one time the, moment, the center of God's move was in Istanbul, right? In that part of the world. Then it shifted because Christianity is a weird kind of a faith where it'll be someplace for a while and it'll leave it. Then it went to Rome and it'll be someplace for a while and it'll leave. It'll, leave, it'll begin to move. Not that all Christians leave, but the center of, of authority and power begins to move. Well, it moved to the United States when we became a nation under God. But listen, this nation under God is confused, and, and so what is happening is the move of God. God will not always tarry with men, and He is a gentleman. He will not force anything upon us if we don't want His waves. Then He'll just get up and move. Hmm? And so now the move is in those three places that I mentioned, right? Why? Because Christians here are not making disciples. As they should, they come to church, perhaps, and they may even give. But we're not—we're called to go beyond that. We're called to make disciples. I say we're—we're becoming spiritual mules. A mule is a cross between a horse and a donkey, and mules cannot procreate. They have to be made by man, false made. I call that—that's religion, right? But we have to be uh, procreators of God's grace and mercy. We have to recreate spiritual babies. Job performers. The next one is accountability, which goes hand in hand. I won't be here. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be here right now. Oh, thank you. You're accountable to whoever is discipling you, and your disciples are accountable to you. And then lastly, integrity. So these were the, these were the, the traits that they came out with. But one trait, one trait that stuck out, it's was only nine, remember it was ten, they put this trait down. This is what, really what the crux of the message is about. Is they put down intimacy with God. And I thought about that and it it didn't suit well with me. Why? Because you can't measure intimacy. No one can see the heart. In Mark chapter 10, we open up with that scripture about the, the children coming to him. And he says, you can't be or you can't come to God unless you're like a child. But if you, if you follow that story out, it, that, was like a, that was a precursor to the real lesson that he wanted to teach. Because immediately after that, it says, as Jesus started on his way in verse 17 of that same chapter, chapter Mark, uh, Mark chapter 10, as Jesus was on his way, a man ran up to him, fell on his knees and, and said, good teacher. What must I do to have eternal life? What must I do to be saved? And then Jesus looked at him and he really <laughs> he goes, "Why do you call me good? Why are you calling? Me? There's no one good but God alone." And then he he nails this man and he says, "You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not do fraud. Honor your father and mother." So he lays this out. See, the key to the heart. And that's what he's looking at. He's looking at the heart. And so he begins with anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. That's pretty heavy, right? Think about that. So what does that mean? So I'm trying to go, what does that mean, God? What are you saying? And then then the story of this other man. Like, Like, he's trying to answer us, but because it's so... Uh, so far apart, in essence, and and as we look at it, we we don't put the two together. So while it is impossible to see the heart, it is possible to see clues of your heart. So he said the traits of a child, and I think that the basic uh, trait of a child is this, they believe. You could tell a child anything, and because you're the mom and dad, they will believe you. Right? You, they'll You know, I, I, me. I'm a superstar. You are, yes. i I play basketball. I'm better than Michael Jordan and LeBron. I make, I break their ankles. Your, your child go. Oh, daddy, you bad. <laughs> they'll believe you. They just have that innate thing to believe, right? Childlike faith, we call it. Then in verse 17, instantly God brings the polar opposite, opposite of childlike faith. He brings in a man, or we say like this, he brings in religion. So you, it starts off, with, here's a man who falls on his knees. Now, you know, this guy's holy right here. He's in public. He's talking about these children. He rebuked his disciples. I mean, things are happening. And here's this guy out of nowhere. He goes, oh, Jesus. Oh, that guy's holy, huh? We were look at him like, wow, that guy's really holy. He done fell on his knees in front of everybody. Man, he came to the altar and he was crying. Snot was coming out of his nose. He's really saved. Right? Give him a handkerchief. Blow your nose, bro. He claims to understand God. He says, not only does he fall on his knees, he says, good teacher. And there's where Jesus catches him. Like, oh, I know this dude right here. I got him. Then he questions, why do you call me good? There's only one good. And this man knows that. You know, he was a holy guy. And then Jesus gets deep because this guy knew and he did holy things. It's like being, just coming to church all the time and and, and paying your tithes and and being faithful and knowing when to say hallelujah, when to say praise the Lord. Oh, don't cuss. Ooh, Ooh, You're not saved if you cuss. Oh, don't do that. We get all agitated by things that really don't matter. And Jesus says, you know the commandments. Now, so I looked at that, I go, what are the commandments? In Exodus chapter 20, Moses laid them out. You know the story, right? You've seen the movie, you watch the cartoon. And it says there in verse 20, um, chapter 20 from 2 to 17, and for the sake of time, he says in verse 3, you must not have any other God before me. Verse 4, you must not make yourself an idol of any kind. Of any image. Verse 7 of Exodus 20. You must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Verse 8. Remember and observe the Sabbath day by keeping holy. Honor your father and mother. You must not murder. Verse 13. You must not commit adultery. Verse 14. You must not steal. Verse 15. You must not testify false against your neighbor. Verse 16. You must not covet. That word covet is another word you can't cheat. You must not cover your neighbor's house or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And it goes on. List. You can't cover his wife. You can't cover his dog. Don't even cover his burrito. That's his burrito. Leave it alone. Amen. Don't cover anything. And so when I looked at that, said, there's 10. And right here is where it hit me. I found out something about Jesus. Jesus can't count. I think he needs to go to math class. He missed, he missed something in, my, in mathematician class. That's what they call it? math class. Math, math. Uh, he can't count. Because he goes to this guy, and he says, you know the commandments. Let's go there in verse 17 of Mark 10. Jesus was starting on his way in Jerusalem. and The man came running up to him, knelt down to him, and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to in- inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked? Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. And then he goes. You must not murder. You must not. You can count with me. You must not commit adultery. That's two. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. You honor your father and mother. Six. Now, the last time that I went to a math class, six does not equal ten. Because when Moses wrote on, he said there were ten commandments. Jesus said, you know the commandments. And he lists six. I go, oh, wait a minute. Something's here. I, I was telling the Holy Ghost, hey, Holy Ghost, I think Jesus can't count. He forgot something. Here we find that Jesus missed something. Or did he? See how many commandments? How many commandments? Just so we are aware on the same page? 10. Ten. Jesus said, you know the commandments. Now, as I look at that, I begin to study the commandments that he left out because we know he can count. Right? I mean, come on. He, 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 know, he created geometry. He created physics. He put the stars in the sky. We know he can count. He knows his math. Maybe we don't know how to count. We think we know how to count. Right? So he says that, and here's the commandments he left out. from. Exodus 20, verse 3, you must not have any God before me. He didn't mention that one. Verse 4, you must not make yourself an idol of any kind, of anything. He left that one out. Verse 7, you must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. And verse 8, you observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. It didn't just say observe the Sabbath day. He says observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. So Jesus lists commandments, the first six that are visible to the eye. See there are certain things that we can see. And there are certain things that God wants us to see. Just like those ten traits. The, those ten traits, the one that I list, the nine that I with, we can see. If you have a bad attitude, we'll know. You can keep it cool for a while, you can act good for a while, but eventually the real you will show up. Eventually, You come here, great church. Oh, hallelujah, praise the Lord God bless you. But one day somebody's going to get in your face and make you mad. Oh, what kind of attitude you got then? Then we can start seeing your attitude, your personality. Here they come. And we we begin to see your your accountability, your loyalty. We can see those things, right? We can see that you're committed. And it's the same thing with the commandments. We can tell that you're not a murderer. Why? Because if you were a murderer, you'd be in jail. Uh, we'll, We'll find out if you're an adulterer especially when your wife finds out, everybody will find out, amen, <laughs> hallelujah, praise the Lord. See, these things will, are visible to the eye. See, but the ones that Jesus didn't mention were the ones that nobody could see. We could fake the funk, you know what I'm saying? We can act like we know God. Everybody in Colorado Springs knows Jesus. You know Jesus? I know Jesus. You know Jesus? Yeah, well, good. The devil knows Jesus. You got Jesus-like faith, right? What kind of faith do you got? Are you with me? See, he lists, he lists the commandments that are visible to the eye. But the ones that we're missing are the most important one. See, being godly in man's eye is for one person, for man. And see, that's how we, we get trapped by that. Because we all want to look good, right? We do. Because this morning I shined my shoes. I made sure my bolo was centered. Right? Because we want to look at it. And that's not a bad thing. But what, what, what's bad is when we think we could mimic looking good for being good. There's only one good. There's only one good, and that's God. So no matter how good you look, and, and I'm not saying not to look good, don't think that just because you talk appropriately that you're appropriate. Don't just, don't think because you act appropriately attitude, that, you're, you're, that you're appropriate. Don't think because we confuse our, those outer things with what really matters. And Jesus will begin and begin to address these things here. But he just starts there. Amen? And that goes back to the, the thing I mentioned earlier. You can't measure intimacy. Now, I, I like people with all those good traits. And those things will get you up. They'll, you know, they'll rise you up in ministry. They'll rise you up at your job because you got all those traits. People say, oh, "I like you. But in the heart, to rise up in the things of God, that, that doesn't matter. God needs a math lesson as well. Now, conversely, why? I must, let me show you why. Let's look at the complete opposite. David, King David, openly broke most of the commandments. So you look, here's, here is a rich young ruler, kept them all. It even said you kept them all. Phew, man, you're holy. And now here's David. We know he murders. Well, let's start how it started. First, he coveted his neighbor's wife, Bathsheba, out there. Here he is. He should be at war, at battle. It was a season when kings went to war, went to battle. But no, he stays back. And what is he doing? He's checking out, he's a peeping Tom. The first biblical peeping Tom was David. He's over here checking out somebody else's wife. Ooh, check her out, man, Bathsheba, be looking good. First of all, what was he doing looking? But secondly, what in the heck was Bathsheba doing taking a bath so everybody could see her? Well, that's another message. He covers his wife, somebody else's wife, and then he covers her so much that he commits adultery, right? And then he commits adultery He wants to try to hide it. So he lies about it. He's a liar. Bore false witness against Uriah the Hittite. Tried to connive him and jive him. Right? So he he goes goes all this. And then finally, what does he do? He sets Uriah up to be murdered. Well, not just murdered. He didn't have the guts to murder himself. He sets him up and has his own soldiers murder him. uh, By not not allowing him to be protected during battle. So here he is. You have the rich young ruler, and you have David. David was not the rich young ruler. Can we say that? See, in the eyes of man, one was good, and the other was evil. If you look at these two men right there at face value, you would say, well, I'll take the rich young ruler. He do not keep, at least, at least he kept most of them. David, what good is David? He broke most of them. So in the eyes of man, we would normally today, we would, we would all choose, hello, someone. We would choose the rich young ruler over King David any day. Because huh? you wouldn't want a liar, a murderer, an adulterer like David in your house. But if you're married, he, he might want your wife. Wait a minute, David, I know about you, man. You think your land's romance. You ain't coming over here, player. Right? You ain't gonna let that happen. No way, way, way. But the rich rich and ruler, oh, look at him. Oh, look at how nice he looks. He even walks like he's holy. Well, come in, come in. See, and that's how we look at things. Amen? Amen? Oh, my. And then Jesus said of the ruler, it is difficult for a rich man to enter heaven. Wow. So here's the one that we like. And there's a possibility because Jesus said it that the one we like won't even make it to heaven. Now you see how, how we get? We all, we're choosing the losers. Loser, or loser, right? We, we, well, we, don't, we don't want to choose the losers, but because of the way we think, the way the, the depravity of humanity, all right, humanity is always on a downhill slope. We think and we look and we tend to choose the losers. <laughs> like the rich young ruler. If the rich young ruler came in, Walked in, and he's rich. I'm the pastor, and, he got, and this guy's got money, and he puts a tithe. Boom, even the pastor will say, whoa, I like, I'm glad he's a member of my church. <laughs> that rich young ruler got down right now. Hey, man, we're going to pay the bills. The light ain't going off. So even ministers get caught by that. But if David came in, if David came in because we don't trust him, he ain't no good, you know what we would do with him? We'd put him in the men's home. Hallelujah. Dave, you need a men's home, you, you pervert, you. You're all messed up, right? See, the wealthy, and this is why Jesus said it's difficult for a rich man to enter heaven. Because the wealthy often have money as their God. It wasn't the money. It was the commandment that he didn't mention. The Bible says, You shall not have no God before me. And he didn't mention it because he knew. He knew his God. Jesus had a fight with his God already. The ruler of Mammon, Jesus snuffed him out. The rich young ruler didn't realize that yet. So he knew. See, the wealthy often have money as their God. The rich often build altars for themselves. Oh, yeah, we don't call them altars. We might call them mansions, bentleys, right? We might call them planes and trains and automobiles. Everybody has an altar but only the rich can build them. Now don't say so poor The Poor people say, well, I wouldn't build them. Yes, you would. If you had the money, you'd build it. Only reason you ain't building it is you ain't got the do re me. Well, why? Because that's the depravity of men's heart. So Jesus started off, and eh, you want to get into heaven? You got to be like a child. You don't want to be like this rich young ruler. But even more confusing to me, Well, you might want to be like King David. Now think about his resume. God said he he has found a man after his own heart. Oh, my goodness. You would think the rich young ruler was a man after God's heart. No, no. I found David, a man after my own heart. And we just discussed what he did. Murdered, lied, adultered fornicate, you name it. Come on, the guy had so many concubines, couldn't even count them. Right? And he's all messed up. And I'm sitting like, wow. Let's boil it down. We can say this. God likes adulterers, liars, cheaters, and murderers. That's what I came up with. Okay, God. If David, I get David, King David, you like him, he's a man of your own heart. That means you like murderers. Adulterers, liars, and cheaters. Yes or no. So what is God looking, trying to tell us? It's not that God can't count. He knows how many he broke, but he's not looking at the things that we see. He's looking at the heart. Somehow, despite all his failings, God, David had a heart after God, and somehow the rich young ruler was far from heaven and couldn't relate to Jesus. So what are we looking at? See, in 2 Samuel, I'm looking at David's heart. Okay, i got to find something here. and In 2 Samuel chapter 24, we get a glimpse at David's heart. And it reads there, Arunah said to David, 2 Samuel 24, 4, verse 22, Let my Lord the king take whatever pleases him and offer it up. Here are oxen burnt offering, here are thrashing sledges and ox for yokes of wood. O king, Arana gives all this to the king. Arna also said to him, May the Lord your God accept you. But the king replied to Arana, No. I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. I said, whoa, check this dude out. After he did all his mess, the ones we mentioned, there was something in him that God got attention. Not to sin, because praise God, when God's the same yesterday, today, forever, God wants to cover our sin. Love covers a multitude of faults. But he's looking for something in the heart. And he says, look at this guy. Look at this adulterer, murderer, liar, cheater. When given the opportunity to take something and give it to me for free, he says, no, I will pay it. I will not offer anything that costs me nothing. This guy's got, to look at this guy's heart. He began to get a glimpse at this man's heart. Conversely, when you go back to the rich young ruler, Jesus challenged him in a similar fashion. He said, oh yeah, you did all those six things. He didn't mention six, I did. You did all those things. but well, one thing you lack. And he hits him right at his God. He hits him right at his idol. He says, one thing you lack. Sell everything and follow me. Ooh. Bible says the rich young ruler looked at him, turned away, walked away from Jesus. I'm going to go be religious again. Walked away, sad. Jesus walks away, loves him. Says, Oh, it's very difficult for a rich man to enter heaven. So he's seen the heart. See, when you look at David in that story we just read, at first glance, it looks like money is an issue. This is not a money issue. Money is never the issue. When we talk about tithes, offerings, and giving, money is never the issue. The issue is an issue of the heart. It's the heart that is that issue. It's an issue of repentance. Mm-hmm. See, David had that ability. He knew that God was greater than everything, and he was willing to do whatever he had to do to please him. Because you have to understand why David came to bring this offering. David had sinned again. And God said to the prophet, You got three choices. I'm going to either bring a plague, we're going to have famine, and the other one, some, so many thousand people die. Let me read it, matter of fact. Turn to 2 Samuel chapter 24. If I got it. I don't even know if I put it down there. Yes, 12. Choose one of these punishments and I will inflict on you. So God came to David and asked him, will you choose three years of famine throughout the land, three months of fleeing from your enemies, or three days of severe plague throughout your land? Think it's over. So David chose the three days of famine. And if you look at that story, David asked God before, look, let, let whatever you're going to do fall on me, not the people. There's another heart, clue to his heart. He was not, no, he knew he blew it, and he said, deal with me, leave them alone. They did nothing. Now the God said, no, 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 that's too easy. I'm going to give you three three days of plague. And if you read that story, we find that 70,000 people died in three days. Now think about that. 70,000 people died. Now, if I was King David, or you were King David, we would be like tripping. Like, wait a minute, we think walking with Jesus is a trip. What do you think about walking with God back then was? As the angel of the Lord was preparing to destroy all of Jerusalem, the Lord relented and said to the death angel, stop! That's enough. Uh, At that moment, the angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor at the house of Ammon, right, where King David was going to give an offering. That's when we come together. So now because God stopped it, what does David want to do? He wants to give an offering after 70,000 of his people were killed. Did that stop him? Most people would say, oh, God, why, God, why, 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 why are you doing this to me? They would cry, they would snivel, they would complain when calamity comes. And not really admitting, hey, that you've got this coming. This is all because of what you were doing. This is because of the way you were living. And then you want to blame God? Hello, somebody! David didn't do that. Once it stopped, David said, it's me. I did this. I, took, I have to take responsibility. And he began to offer something. And the devil slick. Aaron didn't know unknowingly. Say, hey, don't worry about it. Dave, you have to pay for it. I'll do it. He goes, no, no, no. Uh-huh. Remember, God just killed 70,000 people. No, I'm dealing with a heavy God right here. I ain't dealing with a a fake religious God. I ain't dealing with a God that that just comes to church and and leaves on Sunday. No, no, I'm dealing with a God that could do damage. I'm dealing with the almighty God. I'm I'm dealing with the creator of the heaven and earth. I am dealing with an awesome God. It's an awful thing. It's it's an awful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. He understood who this God was. He goes, oh, no, 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 no. I will not offer unto my God that which costs, costs me nothing. See, he understood who God was. He knew the heart. Unlike most believers, how is your heart today? But not only that, not only did David have the right attitude with God, we're talking about a glimpse of his heart, he had a right attitude with people. Despite his feelings, his failings, David would honor his people. He generally loved people. You see, in a world today where where leaders abuse authority, Uh, where uh, leaders use people for personal gain, personal satisfaction, we need a model, a man like David, not in his failings, but in his ability to have a heart after God, to give unto God what rightfully belongs to him, to to honor God with the tithes and an offering, to, to, to trust God because you're God and I'm not. Not only that, David honors people. There's a story, and I'm going to close with this. David's there in Second Samuel chapter 23 verse 15. And he was thirsty. He goes, "Ah, oh, I can only have some water. Not bottled water, not Nestle's pure life. Purified water." No, 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 no. If I only can have a drink. Oh, that someone would get me a drink of water from the well. And he didn't want just any well. It was one particular well. The well at the gate of Bethlehem. He wanted that good water, right? Oh, and he's, he, he's just talking about, you know, I imagine he's out there with the fellows just thinking about it. Yeah, you know, should, I wish I had some of that water, man. Oh, yeah, they're probably agreeing with him. Yeah, David, that's the best water, man. It's like Colorado water. They probably even said that because, you know, Colorado water is the bomb. It is. Right out the faucet, I get the water hole. Right? It's just nothing like that water. And he's talking, and these these guys heard it. So in verse 16, so three of the mighty men broke through the Philistine lines, drew water from the well under the gate of Bethlehem, carried it back to David, but David refused to drink it. Instead, the Bible says that he he poured it out. And I like what you said, he said he poured it out, not just poured it out, he poured it out before the Lord. He went to God. And I'm mad. He goes, man, i got to be careful what I say, God. These guys broke through the line, the Philistine line. They could have died. They could have got killed. They put their lives on the line because I was thirsty. All I wanted was some water. And they heard that. They said, hey, man, King David wants some water. Let's get some water. These are bad dudes. These are the kind of guys that I like. And he goes, look what they did, God. And so he takes that water that he longed for, he said. And rather than drink it, he gave it to God. Oh God, I have to honor these men. He says, far be it from me, Lord, to do this. He said in verse 17, it is not the blood of men who went at risk for the life. Rather, is it not the blood of men who went at the risk of their lives? And David will not drink it. See, now we see his heart. Unlike the rich young ruler who faked it, who looked good, who talked good, who kept the commandments. Maybe they were faithful on the outside, but on the inside, there was something missing. The other side you had David, a warrior, a fighter, blood on his sword. He, you know, and you know, you've been around any soldiers. I was a military guy. You don't want to be around ladies. Soldiers are just got foul mouths. I don't know what it is. And he said, don't cuss like a sailor. Not just sailors. Sailors, Marines, Airmen, they all cuss. Man, they just go, man watch your tongue, dude. But that's just, and, and you can see David was a soldier. He probably had that same kind of foul mouth. Huh? Real coarse, rough. These were, these were David's mighty men. This wasn't David's ballerina troop. This was David's mighty men who knew how to kill people. One man fought with a sword so long that his hand stuck to the sword. Right? One, another man jumped into the pit on a snowy day and fought a lion. These were mighty men. These were rugged guys. So they were a little car- they didn't. They were kind of like cavemen. Kind of like my homeboys growing up, huh, huh Larry? Cavemen. But they love the Lord. God didn't take away their cavemen-ness. I you don't know if the word. But God's seen their heart. God's seen their heart. And then it reminds me of another scripture. As I close, Matthew 22, verse 34. Matthew 22, verse 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. Notice who's there. The Sadducees and the Pharisees were the religious folk. And Jesus had an argument with one sect of religious people, the Sadducees, and he slapped them silly, beat them like a circus monkey in the spirit, couldn't handle it. And they go, the Pharisees, oh man, he, he, he got those Sadducees. So they got together. We got we to get this guy, right? The Pharisees got together, verse 35, one of them and an expert in the law tested him with a question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? The greatest commandment, Jesus replied. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two. It looks like God can't count either. See, God distilled 10 commandments that were given to man so that we can see as a learning tool. He distilled them down to two. Love God and love your neighbor. See, the rich ruler said, I did all that. I'm good. I'm a good person. I pay my taxes. I, I, love, my wife. I love my wife. That's great, good. Hey, hey, hey. But that is no guarantee for your heart with God. Love God with all your heart. And here's the challenge. It is so difficult to love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, you go, I love my neighbor. Oh, yeah, as long as they stay in their house. And don't bother you to use your car. Don't come over your house too long and eat your food. I love my neighbor. See, all of a sudden, when we begin to distill it down, do we love our neighbor? Do we truly? And and some, you know, I I used to get hurt from people because you give your heart to them. You want to work with them and, they, and they, they do other things that, that surprise you, that are not in the interests of, of ministry. or. And I, and I was delivered of the pain because I found something out, and this is common to everybody. It is not that people are against me. And I'll use me as an example, or you. It's not that they're against you or against me. People are for themselves. And because they're for themselves, If they have to choose between doing something that's going to bless them and doing something that's going to bless you, they're going to choose them all the time. See, that was the plight of the rich young ruler. And the opposite was David. When David had the opportunity to bless himself with the the agreement of those who wanted to bless him, he said, no, I'm not going to do that. You, you gave too much for this. No, no. I know not do. With your action and my action, we're gonna bless the Lord. And he blessed the Lord. You, Lord. I pray that we are people who learn to bless the Lord. Whenever bowed, whenever I want every head bowed and every eye closed. is about every night closed. God gives us a clear picture. It's not that Jesus can't count, or that God doesn't know numbers. No, He knows the heart. And He's looking at your heart. He's addressing our heart. This afternoon I want to pray for those who say, I want to have a heart like David's heart. I want to have a heart after God. I don't want to be that rich young ruler because it is very difficult for a person like that to make it to heaven. God, give me a heart that would honor you. That who would say, I will not offer unto my God that which costs me nothing. Give me that heart. I want to be that person who who would honor His people, their sacrifice, and would honor people, not take advantage of them, but honor them for what they do, because I love people, to love people. Let me love people as I love you. If that is your prayer, if you need prayer, as we sing this song, the altars are open. Bless your name.